Watson has a lot of people talking on behalf of him, whether it was every NFL reporter coming out with the same almost press release-like report at the same exact moment on a Friday a few months ago where we haven't heard from Watson. And I think until Watson looks at the Texans and tells them, I, I will never wear this jersey again, and I demand being traded, knowing Nick Casario, who just took over as GM, and not knowing David Culley that well, but knowing what he's about and a lot of people he's worked with before, they are going to do everything in their power to make Deshaun Watson happy and remind him that we're new, we're fresh blood. We don't, we have not, we have, we, there is no institutional knowledge of whatever you're upset about that we're coming into. So please give us a shot. And I think they want to make it work. They really do. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. Every week it seems like we're on the precipice of something this week. Free agency or in perhaps the second case players with limited options as we look to see where this team can try and strengthen our roster with many holes going into the 2021 season. Obviously Deshaun Shadow continues to hang over us, bringing in a good friend of the show, Jordan Texans underscore thoughts. How are you doing, Jordan? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on the show. As, as crazy as it sounds, I'm actually pretty excited to talk Texans, but how are you doing? Yeah, all good. All good, man. It's uh, doing all right. How's the sort of restrictions and stuff with you in Canada? How's What, what kind of stage are you at? Um, it hasn't been too strict. We're still like not supposed to have big gatherings and that stuff, but um, luckily we're allowed to, you know, go out, restaurants are open, bars, gyms, all that sort of stuff. So Uh, it's not too bad. And and it looks like things are are getting better. Vaccines getting here. Um, school next, next year should be in person, not online. So things are are looking on the ups. Thank God. Yeah. I think we're probably, we could be six weeks away from kind of restaurants, bars here. Uh, Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a tough uh, it's been a tough year I think in terms of enjoying yourself. But uh, but yeah, this football team doesn't really help. What's your kind of, no. <laughs> if you had to, if you had to sum up in a couple of sentences the the off season of hell uh, probably couldn't have gone any worse. What would you how would yeah. you sum up the the Casario right through to the 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 caretaker Cully? It's been crazy because, you know, when the season ended, that final game against the Titans, I I really thought, you know, hey. This is rock bottom. It can't go any worse from here. And day by day, week by week, Texans managed to to change that thought and and mess with my expectations and just kept finding a lower, um, you know, bar that they somehow managed to keep digging themselves in a deeper hole. And it's been crazy. But, um, you know, a lot of us are still here, still fighting it out, still trying to love this team and, and still support them. And hopefully, you know, the guys that we've signed, maybe they weren't our first, second, or third choices, but hey, at the end of the day, they're on our team. We're going to support them, and I'm going to try and be as positive as I possibly can um, going forward. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? Because many people, you don't have a delusions of grandeur that you're going to be in the top tier every yeah. year. Like, you know that's not possible. Just That was never possible just by the way the team was run and, and the, the people making some decisions. But I think it's the level of self-implosion that just doesn't seem to stop, really. Um, bringing back David Johnson was perhaps a sign of that. I I thought to increase a guy's guarantees who was the lead back who missed games with injury on the on the bottom ranked thirty second best Russian attack in the league to give him more guarantees than you had to in a season where you don't want to spend any money it didn't really kind of settle that well with me. 
Yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of that restructure either. I think a lot of people are, are looking at that restructure and say, oh, well, well, Nick Cassero, he did a good job. He, he saved a couple million dollars, right? But the thing is that he should have saved a lot more if you actually did just simply cut David Johnson. And it speaks to kind of, you know, the sunk cost fallacy that they have already invested so much in him through the way of the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade. And so they don't want to admit defeat. They don't want to admit that they, you know what, they made a mistake with that trade. They didn't get proper value. Um, they don't want to admit that. And so they want to keep banging their head that, hey, David Johnson, one year is it's, it's going to work. You know, next year it's going to work. The year after it's going to work, whatever it is. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they have a time machine. Maybe they can bring back 2016 David Johnson and then sure, he'll be he'll be successful. But I just I'm not too super optimistic that he'll, you know, ever return great value on that trade. Yeah, and just pick up on that thing you said there, Jordan, right? So what kind of gets me and it keep and it keeps itching away at the back of my mind is the, you know, there was a reference there to a previous regime. And we know the, the the main stakeholder that's the carryover from the previous regime that should have gone the day that O'Brien did, right? And whether it's small things like keeping David Johnson here on slightly more money, you know, in the grand scale of 182.5 million, an extra 2 million on your salary cap, it's, you know, small percentages, right? But signing guys like Dontre Hilliard, who was here in the previous regime, was their first guy that you, you re-signed for the next season. Uh, and then, obviously, the, the long snapper, Kaluka, that's come yeah. back and we've let weeks go. It seems like that there's, there's and, and we'll come on to the coaching staff as well, but... The, Again, it's carryover, and this should have been a clean slate. I think there just seems to be too many things stacking up for me right now that shows that it's not a clean break, it's not a new outlook, and there's and it, it was kind of what Cal said. Not much of what he said, you know, has, has actually really been true. But what he said was a reset, not a rebuild. And it feels like, from a front office point of view, you know, I know there's a couple of scouts and stuff that have left, but. It doesn't feel like it's gone in a new direction in any in any true sense, and it, it, that just keeps eating away at me. And I, I know it's Easter being, and maybe I'm just yeah over focused on it because it is it is him, and he's you know, and, you, and the fact that you've got McLean coming out saying he's got unprecedented power, it's he's even more powerful than he's ever been. That's why I keep going back to the point. I just don't think we've hit rock bottom yet. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. You're not overreacting. You're not overfocusing on him at all because he is the single worst problem that the Texans have probably ever ever had um, with this organization. He's destroying this team step by step, day by day. And you're right. There's too much holdover from the previous regime from players who just aren't simply good enough players that you want to bring back to coaches. Um, certain guys on the defensive side of the ball, I think we kept, uh, who was his name? Bobby King, we kept a running back coach, Danny Barrett, fine, whatever. But then we hear that Romeo Cornell is remaining on the team. Yeah, as, that's the worst one, isn't it? I yeah, think. because, I mean, sure, he's a great guy. Everyone loves him. Everyone loves to play for him. You never say a bad thing about him as a person. But, I mean, we saw what he could do as a head coach. Nothing spectacular. And now they call him director of, of football or advisor, senior advisor of football, something. It's yeah. just, it doesn't make sense to me. You want, all we wanted is new voices, new people who would bring out their new visions and, and, and have a different plan. And we're not getting that. And, and to your point about, you know, the David Johnson, the, the John Weeks, those small moves, like you said, it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but it's these moves around the margins. Like we never expected the Texans to make huge moves this offseason, right? But these little moves are also moves that you can't mess up. They're moves that 
they stack upon each other. One doesn't look too bad, but two, three, four, five of them, then it starts to hurt your ability to build a team for the future. And so I'm, I'm with you in 100%. I'm still, there's still some moves. There's some moves that have been good, but there's some moves that definitely um, require criticism. And I think if you go back right through to, you know, all the stuff that Cornell was here, okay, last season, it was, yeah, I mean, there's a limit that you can put on him, but it showed you he wasn't a plus as a head coach. So if he's not a plus as a head coach, does that mean he's a plus as an advisor? The, the one year that he was an advisor, Rabel called a terrible defense, so he didn't advise him there. And then when he was the coordinator, probably the biggest failing of any coordinator in probably the last, well, in fact, the entirety of the franchise, but definitely in the last decade, was he didn't find a way to, to work Marcellus Clowney and Watt on the field all at once. Completely failed at that when he had the chance. So, I don't know. I, again, it's just holdover, as you said. But again, it comes back to, do these people have football output or is it the type of people they are? Other nice guys don't cause as much hassle. We'll keep them around. Exactly, exactly. Are we going to see a a hybrid defense between Lovey Smith and Romeo Cornell? Like, we have no idea and we probably won't ever until they actually hit the field. And... Personally, I, I would rather just Cornell, he takes a, a backseat and he's just kind of helping, um, you know, help a, a rookie head coach transition and, and with those types of duties. And he doesn't touch anything football related. Hopefully that's the case. Um, but I guess only time will tell. Yeah. And the thing with, with Cornell is as well, as you said, you're going a completely different direction. You're running on the opposite, you know, the complete antithesis of his scheme. Well, in some ways, I know there's a lot of zone concepts too high. That's the kind of carryover. So maybe there's an element there. But but when 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 he's when he's when he can't bring anything, or he didn't bring anything when he had full autonomy, he didn't help sure. on the field. And I would argue a lot of the time the way he phrased his answers to questions at the trade deadline when you let what go. I mean, we're about to see Fuller sign for somebody in the next you know three or four days. He didn't trade those guys either. So I don't think he's got much great advice on off the field. So, and I don't know if the game's passed him by and he gets to a point, you know, where it changes and you kind of lose your edge a bit, you know, as, as an older guy. I don't know. Um, but it feels like there's just too much carryover, you know, and, and they're not starting afresh. And, and I suppose, I mean, the what did you make of, which I think probably the only positive decision that, that Casario's made was probably the, Finding a Nick Martin that we covered a couple of weeks ago, but then the Justin Britt signing comes in straight away, you know, or within days after. What did you make of that? Because for a guy who's not played for two full seasons after an ACL, you know, 18, 20 months ago, teams kicked the tires on him last year. Kansas City and Green Bay both brought him in for a workout, chose not to sign him when they needed, when guys went down. You know, Corey Lindsay went down. They had the Kansas City's line was a bit of a you know reshuffle uh, consistently. What do you think? What do you think they they know that other teams don't? Because to sign them before free agency would suggest you're paying a bit of a premium. I know it's a hugely incentive laden deal, but is that just a, a guy their chance or an, up, an upside? Or what, what do you think of that signing? Yeah. So first of all, I I'm I'm definitely a big fan of the Nick Martin cut. Like you mentioned, I think is probably the best move that he's made this off season. Had to happen. You're overpaying these underperforming guys, so that's great. Um, but then the Brit signing, yeah, I think it caught a lot of people off guard. He wasn't really on a lot of people's radar, and I think maybe the whole the whole reason why Green Bay and Kansas City passed up on him is because it was it was too soon after his his ACL injury. Maybe he wasn't 100 healthy. Um, that's a, a potential 
um, reason. And I think in terms of the deal, like you said, it's it's heavily um, incentivized. It was reported that it's 3.25 million and he can get up to five. And then I think it was it was Sarah Barshop or someone who reported it maybe yesterday or the day before that said um, if he's active for all 16 games, then he'll hit that 3.25 million. And then there's some other incentives um, to get to the five. So I think most likely you're sitting around 3.25 million. I can't really think of the other things that would get him to five. Like if he's a pro bowler, I don't, I can't see that really happening. Um, so, you know, at that 3.25 million value at the end of the day, it's a one year deal. There's not a whole lot to hate about it. Like in terms of the, the length of the deal, it's perfect. Those are the types of deals that we need to be signing this off season. Nothing that really extends into 2022, 2023, you know, get these one year prove it deals for veterans who are trying to make it back into the league, trying to, you know, they're hungry. They want to try. They're going to put in 110% effort. They want to get paid again. They want to show that they still got it. Um, so at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I like that type of type of deal that Casario gave out. And then talking about Britt personally, like, as a player, I went back and watched his his 2019 season and his 2018 season, and he's a guy who, honestly, his play isn't a whole lot different from Nick Martin. Um, he's very scheme specific. He's going to do a lot better in an outside zone scheme where he can use his mobility very well, um, and he's not going to do so well in, in you know gap power runs where he just has to try and out muscle you out bully you and be really physical he's not that type of guy so if we do use him in the right scenario in the right schemes he can be a great upgrade over nick martin if we don't honestly i think we'd get some pretty similar production um and i guess the benefit from that is that you're still paying him less than you are nick martin so at the end of the day it's kind of a, just a win-win no matter what happens um but i think right now before we see any see him play see the rest of the moves um, work out for the rest of the offseason. I think it's a it's a good move by Casario. And do you think that shows a commitment then, or a, or an indication that the team will predominantly go to zone? Because that was you know what they ran. You know, they, they, a lot of kind of slow developing pulling guard gap plays at the start of the year. It was terrible to watch. They tried it so many weeks on end, which we think Mike Devlin was sort of math or, or or pulling the strings behind. Do you think that's a a sense that they saw actually? David Johnson does run that. The, the vast majority of the line, well, not the majority, that's always been the issue, isn't it? That, that it's been a, a mixture of skill sets along the line, but they yep. think bringing him in, it must show that they want to go to a zone kind of stretch scheme where they can where they can get David Johnson and other type of runners, which is the easiest type of running back to find is the one cut kind of guys. Definitely, yeah. I think that would be um, the smart thing to do. If, if I had a lot of faith in, in Nick Casario and having an aligned vision with david cooley slash tim kelly you know that would definitely be the smart thing to do um to to assume sorry um because it's just so so important for for a gm and a head coach to all be on the same page and share that same type of vision for the offensive scheme and whatnot so i hope i hope that's the case we've seen so many cases where this team is built in like you said a mismatch of skills um where they don't always all fit together so i'm, I'm i have a little worry about it but i think i think that is the path that they're planning on going towards a small note but the 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 cutting of cullen gillespie i thought i i know it's the first guy to go from the 29 uh 2019 draft class ryan Gaines' final kind of impact on the team what do you think of that because i i know they, they went they, they got rid of jay prosh they went a year without a fullback 
drafted one and never really gave him many opportunities. And I know last year he was healthy and it's a failed physical designation. So maybe he's got more issues than, than we're quite aware of. But it seem, is that, do you think that's a move that they'll, they'll move away from a fullback again and not carry one this year? Or what do you make of that? Because it feels like a guy when you draft him, you think you get, you know, at least get the, the, uh, the length of length and breadth of his rookie deal just because it's a cost controlled talent. And he, he and he did well on special teams when he was out there. Yeah, no, when he was given some opportunities, he was very solid on special teams. And and my mind always goes back to that Bills playoff game. Um he made so many crucial blocks, a few of them, um, that really changed the impact of the game. And so clearly he has potential. You know, you're talking about a late, late seventh round pick. Um so from the Texans view, they haven't invested too much in him, but I mean, like you said, at least see what he's got throughout his rookie contract. Um, and, and that idea would make sense if they want to continue with a a fullback in their in their scheme. And you look at the Ravens, and they often use fullbacks. Um, but, you know, this is Tim Kelly's offense. And so Tim Kelly, a lot of the last year, he would do a lot of spread concepts, a lot of five wide where sometimes there wouldn't even be a running back. And so I think you said it perfectly that they're kind of going away from that, having that fullback in the system. I think they're going to run four running backs. I mean, we've already got three on the roster with David Johnson, Buddy Howell, and Donchell Hilliard. So I think potentially we sign another one in free agency for cheap, or we just draft one in a super deep running back draft class this year. Um, I'm sad to see... Cullen Gillespie a go. I thought he definitely deserved more of a chance, but I'm not too mad at it because at the end of the day, how often are we really going to be using our fullback? I, I don't think much. Yeah, I think so. And it's it's yeah, it's not a big deal, I think, in the grand scheme of it. Uh, one, certainly one that will strike a chord with fans and a guy who set the franchise record for appearances last year uh, was John Weeks cut and they've obviously moved on, touched on it earlier, but um, when a guy still performs at a level, when at a position where the money is, you know, almost identical in every team, to make a change like when they did with Trevor Daniel at punter and ended up cutting him after four or five weeks in the twenty nineteen, it feels like making changes on special teams at that at that position or those sort of specialist positions where you know kicking a field goal punting is all procedural. Is that a risk? Do you think that they maybe just don't need this year, or do they think it's just another nod to the future and they're trying to? create a new identity for the Texas in 21, whatever that kind of transitional year looks like. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think that's how the Texans see it, definitely trying to get younger because even in last season, they were constantly calling up and calling down um, our new long snapper, Anthony Kukwa, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. And so I think they were trying to get him more looks, trying to transition him into that role. Um, weeks, he's getting up there for sure. So maybe that's their thought process. But I think I'm kind of with you on this where, you know, He's been so dependable for his entire career. I mean, personally, I can't think of a single bad snap that he's had. Um, and when you're at that position, it's a position that, you know, it doesn't require athleticism. You don't need to be the the fastest, the strongest guy. You can play to your mid, late 30s, even 40s, right? So it's not like John Weeks was was declining. Um, and And that's kind of the overall thought process I have with that move is that, the team needs to have better talent evaluation. And that comes from not wanting to bring back a big player like Will Fuller. And it also comes from these little these little moves around the margins. Like the ability to evaluate players is so, so huge. And I think they I think they missed the mark on this one. Um 
but I guess that's kind of the theme of all the moves that we've been talking about. At the end of the day, it's not going to be a, a too big of a deal, and hopefully Kukwa can uh, hopefully learn a thing or two from the legend John Weeks. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of times they brought him back and re, re, re-signed them and then released them, brought him back, it was obvious there was, a, there was some sort of intent there, but again, it goes back to that theme of the holdover. A bit of cap uh, and renegotiating and restructuring today. Brandon Cooks has been Signed of what looks like on the on the face of it, I saw people saying, "Can I congratulate Casario for it?" But ultimately, from from what I can see, the voided two years of his deal, which and I don't expect Casario to be too concerned about. It. When you give a second round pick, the reason why they gave a premium was because LA paid all his signing bonus off, and it was a negotiable contract that you could keep a, a sort of upper end talent for three to four years. So we've given up the last two years of his deal on that. And then uh, we've converted his signing bonus. So the net impact is a six six and a half million reduction in cap hit this year. But certainly it feels like maybe Cook saw it as a way he might want to get out. I don't know, but it's, it's not often that, that you get a player to avoid two years of their deal. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I was kind of thinking. Is is this kind of a win-win for the Texans and for Cooks? He kind of gets out of the situation maybe a bit quicker and it's it's all clean and nothing, he doesn't request a trade or anything. Um, that's definitely a, an interesting angle. Um, but I think overall, like you said, like it's, it's a good move. It's a move that a lot of pe- a lot of us expected it to happen, like wanted it to happen. And so that kind of tells you, you know, in the in the in the scope of you know what makes a good GM, like this is definitely a move that should be on their radar and should have been done. Um, so you can give him his props for that; it's deserved. But it's also a move that you know most GMs should make. And so the fact that I think so many people are, are very excited about it, and I was I was pretty happy to see it as well. It just kind of says how low the bar was before Nick Casario. So the fact that he does something like pretty obvious is just like. Let's celebrate. Let's drink. Like you know what I mean. Um, so I think overall it's it's great. I have no complaints whatsoever. I think Cooks, you know, at his, I believe it was like twelve point five million. His his previous cap hit, you know, it wasn't the greatest value, you know, for someone who he's not really a a wide receiver one. And with his concussion history in the past, there's there's some risk there, right? So now at six point five million, that's that's honestly a steal. Um, and so I, I I like it overall. Yeah, I just I just keep going back to the the second round pick that you give up for him, and it's. You know, if you think you gave the second round pick up, pick there away, you give another, you know, you, you give another two thirds that they've given away that they could have had this year. It's just a lot of picks for guys that you won't. Have. And look, as you know, as your third round goes, the less chance you have of these guys working out. But it feels like there's there's three picks there we could have had. Plus, you know, obviously all the comp picks have come out and we've seen the Texas don't have any. And when you lose a player like DJ Reader, to a market setting deal for his position. In theory, you should get a pick back, but the mm-hmm. recklessness, I think, of the previous moves, and I include Cooks in that, seems like that 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 will not that will not stop reverberating around the Texans and as they try and team build as the years go by after the O'Brien sort of an era of, of giving him too much power and being over his head. So I mean, it is what it is, but I th- I thought, yeah, it looks like you're gonna you're gonna be looking to replace that guy in a couple of years when you gave a second round pickup for him. So you you'll get three years out of him, but just a side note, an interesting restructure, but more more space on the cap. And the reason why there are is that the, the the league have set hundred eighty two and a half million dollars for this year, obviously come down from hundred and ninety eight the year prior. So a lot of teams are in a bad position. Texas is not too bad. Obviously the 
the cut in the JJ Watt, we're sitting there circa sort of 17 million, we've got 11 million carryover from the previous year. If they are to spend cap doll, in fact, before actually that, Jordan, do you see them making any more cuts before free agency opens officially on Wednesday, but the, the legal tampering opens Monday? Yeah, so there's been some, there's been a few names floated out there, you know, Bernardrick McKinney, possibly Bradley Roby. Um, I think a guy like Zach Fulton is, is, uh, one of the guys who's deserving of being cut, um, maybe even Brandon Dunn, Darren Fells, it really all comes down to how much money they want to save. Um, I believe, I think it was Texans Cap he tweeted out today after the Cooks restructure, they're at $22 million. So we're sitting pretty good. Um, but I think, honestly, every dollar does count, and I would cut all of those guys um, personally. But what do I see actually happening? Um, I don't. I think the only guy who could be cut is Bradley Roby. I'll get to him in a second, but I thought that the whole Bernardic McKinney thing, I thought that would would happen, but if we were going to re-sign Tyrell Adams, and I think it's still possible that we do, but I think he is going to at least test free agency. I don't think we're going to get a deal done with him before free agency. And so we're going to have one of him or BMAC back. It's not going to be both, in my opinion. So if, if Tyrell Adams resigns, we can cut BMAC. If if not, we keep BMAC and let, and let Adams walk. Um, and I'd be fine with either of those situations. I don't, I don't think, um, it's a big deal in, in the end of the, in the big scope of things, but with Bradley Roby, that name has been floated out there a lot. And, uh, I really don't get it. I mean, he's a, a valuable cornerback. He can play outside, he can play inside. Maybe he's not your cornerback one, but he's a very, very high level cornerback too. And for the contract that he signed, he's just making around 10 million per year and his contracts were voided or sorry, his guarantees were voided because of the whole PED thing. Um, it's a pretty team-friendly contract. It's ranked 15th in the league out of cornerbacks. Like that's pretty damn good. You're not going to get another cornerback this year on that same value. Who's going to want to come here to the Texans, taking a little bit of a discount like that, right? So yeah. I don't see the point in in cutting Roby. Um, I think the team will argue maybe it's it's not so much as performance, but it's the PED thing. It's maybe how committed he is to the team and and, and whatnot. But that one really makes my my head makes me scratch my head. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the, the position that we're going to be the lightest at because you think, yeah. you know, well, you, you've got to hope uh, all common sense of prevailing gains won't be signed, Hargreaves won't be signed, um, and they're going because they're going to need to find at least one outside corner, um, if not two, and then probably depending on where John Reed's at, which we don't know because they didn't they refused to play yeah. him. Another 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 example why Cronell should not be back. Um, but yeah, we, that that's the position potentially we're we're most short at. I think, and it's. I think that an edge rusher. I mean, obviously the the quarterback is the <laughs> is the is the one looming. Um, we'll come on to that a bit. But the defense, you know, and, and all things being equal, and Watson stays. The defense needs to be invested. And cornerback just seems a position that there isn't too many guys out there this year to to, to try and fill your holes. And where do you sit on spending in free agency? Because I think for every Antonio Smith or uh, or or Jonathan Joseph, or Manning, you know, you've got your Brock Osweilers, your Aaron Colvins, you know, I think there's the success rate of players leaving their teams and not being paid for a situation that probably been there four or five years. They're letting them go for it. They're letting them walk for a reason. So the fact, I think it's always a buyer's beware market. And I think, you know, people do champion the Teams, it's good for the fans, it's good for owners, but I don't, I don't see it as a concrete way to build your roster composition in a robust manner because you, you find that I, I think over the years, I mean, if you look at last year's 
free agency class, for example. I mean, is there anybody there that you would that, that you would necessarily, you know, think you want you want to find a player like that? You know, there is small examples of it. obviously Shaq Barrett being one of the recent ones that goes and leads the league in sacks, but they don't happen often. I think you've got to be careful. I know fans want to see teams spend money, but it's not it's not the most traditional and classic way to build your roster. And you can you can get lucky and you can look look very smart, but there's a lot of pitfalls to be found, I think, in this time of year. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great point. I think with free agency, um, if you can get one of those star players, I don't think we're in the position to realistically this offseason, but if you can get one of those star players, like you said, the Shaq Barrett, maybe this year it's it's your Leonard Williams, your Yannick Ngakwe, that type of guy, your William Jackson the third. If you can get those where you're you're very confident in their ability to translate to your team and then still have success, then yeah, that's a great way to build your team. Um, but overall... Like you said, it is pretty hit or miss, um, especially with those like kind of mid tier mid tier free agents. A lot of the time, they're guys that are you know getting going on twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. Their play is starting to decline, and you don't want to be giving them handing them out for your contracts for a lot of money. I mean, look at Kyle Van Noy with the Dolphins. He got his contract just last year, and now after one year, they want to cut him because he hasn't lived up to his contract, and he's making a shit ton of money. Um, so I definitely hear where you're coming from. I think the Texans, they're not in the boat where they're going to go get a top-tier guy. They're not in the boat where, you know, maybe they get one mid-tier guy. Maybe we see another Randall Cobb signing, um, but mainly it's going to be the low-tier guys in the second, third waves of free agency where you're signing one, two-year deals for veterans and for prove-it deals. Maybe a guy like you want to give Jadeveon Clowney a chance and, and bring him back. I think those are the types of deals that, you know, they're lower reward, but they're also lower risk. And so I think that's something that, you know, Nick Casario should and hopefully will focus on, um, you know, keeping the books pretty relatively clean for 2022, 2023, and just seeing if, if we can get um, some solid vets to, you know, help our, our young guys progress. And, you know, so we're not just kind of running out a, an 0-16 dumpster fire of a team as well. Um, and then also maybe we take a chance on a guy like, you know, some guys who have had some issues with the previous team, maybe a, a John Ross who has some injury issues, but he's got a boatload of potential. Maybe one of those young guys who we can get their career back on track. Hopefully, as, as crazy as that sounds, we're the place to do that. But yeah, I think those are the types of guys that we can look for in free agency. Yeah, I think the worst thing they could do is spend money on guys that have got a risk of injury history. Yeah. And them sit and uh, and not and not actually be out there because the any, as you said, any cap dollars we can save this offseason is a plus. And I think any young guy, whether it's undrafted free agent, whether it be, you know, a guy that can that can develop in the draft, etc. I think they're the kind of guys you want to give ultimate preference to this year. And obviously the 2020 draft class will probably find out a lot about them because we certainly didn't find out much about them last year. In terms of, of if you were to say what's the most important position they need to address. Would you agree it's corner or would you look somewhere else? I would say it's it's defensive end, pass rusher. Um, they're they're pretty pretty close in terms of importance. I just think within Lubby Smith's scheme, um, within the Tampa two, the cornerbacks they play a very specific role. You know, you just need them to be tall, have long arms, be physical, play that flat zone, can tackle a little bit. Um, but they don't really have to be great man cover corners. They don't really have to have great deep speed. Um, you know, they're going to have that safety help over top. So their role within that scheme, you can find guys 
um, for cheaper. Like they don't have to be world-class athletes, amazing at everything, right? If you're running a different type of scheme. But within that scheme, it depends so much on pressure, getting after the quarterback and, and rushing with just four defensive linemen. And so currently constructed, I mean, we're gonna. it looks like we'd start Whitney Merciless, uh, either Jonathan Grenard or Jacob Martin, um, Brandon Dunn, and, you know, Charles Omenahu maybe or Ross Blacklock. And and that defensive line, I don't know about you, but if I'm the quarterback, I'm I'm sitting pretty. I'm not concerned whatsoever, right? Yeah. Um so I think the system as a whole, it places more emphasis on your pass rushers getting after the quarterback. And so because of that, I definitely put uh defensive end as as number one. Yeah, and I think yeah, I suppose, isn't it? You, you saw at times in the end of the twenty nineteen season, I think a lot of people couldn't believe they didn't sign any edge rusher. The fact that Merciless is still here and he's a guy that we haven't talked about. I don't know if they do cut him or I think the biggest hope is really as, as bad as it sounds to say is that he retires because it's yep. uh, he's not a guy that you can you can count on and his film was was not great. Uh, beyond a sort of romantic re recoupling with Judavian Clowney, I think most most of us would want to see that where he is right now. Was he coming up for what would be twenty eight this year? Is there any guys out there that you think? Bearing in mind, we're going to have to look for different type players. Actually, in fact, Jacob Martin, I know you're a big fan. <laughs> Do you think he fits as an edge rusher uh, in a 4-3? I think, you know, ideally he his size, I think, is more fit for a 3-4 outside linebacker. But within that role, what Anthony Weaver asked him to do was just not really playing to his his skill sets was a lot of dropping in coverage a lot of the time um he would be rushing over the interior versus guards and where he can't really use his speed which is his main element and his main strength and he couldn't use that to his advantage so anthony weaver didn't really use him that well i think he tried to get too fancy too cute with him um whereas if you just simplify his role in a in a 4-3 defensive end role where you know hey i'm only going to be rushing the, the quarterback and, and playing the run occasionally right if he's just doing that, he can just pin his ears back and get after the quarterback. He is going to be scary. I really do believe that. I, I still believe highly in his game. Um, I think he just deserves more snaps and more um, and a better um, utilization of his, his role and his and his skill set. So I'm, I'm very high on him. Yeah, I think I mean, there's a, I think as well there's a lot to be said as well for getting just defensive tackles because we, I don't know if we actually have any true DTs that are going to be that are going to you know be able to play your you're two and three and three I tech in, 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 in this new defense. You've got guys like Dalvin Tomlinson uh, out there, you know, who's who's kind of one of these names that always seems to be able to Sheldon Rankins as well, who's a guy that, you know, was a, a high draft pick. A guy that I quite like actually is Robert, uh, sorry, Roy Robertson Harris from the Bears. Um, and I think they've, they've got a lot of guys to pace. I don't think he'll go. He, he missed a lot of time last year. But if I go back to the game, look, I don't watch a lot of the NFC, but certainly just going through clips of guys that caught my eye, that when he played against Green Bay week one, uh, I think it was the start of last year, the year before, I can't remember, um, the, the opening, opening uh, league's opening game on Thursday night, he was he was doing a lot of damage in the trench and showing a lot of juice. So I think we need guys like that who can come in and just be space eaters and, uh, and, and, and actually, you know, make make a difference i think a guy jonathan hankins as well when we played the raiders the game that walked tory's tory's peck he flashed a lot as well so it's guys like that who are probably not going to have huge value you might be get for six seven eight million dollars you might i think that the texans would be wise to invest in one of those because i think when you're the structural element of your defense isn't sound like we saw last year 
up front and people can just run on you at will. It's a long old year. And if you're down and you and who knows who'll be throwing the ball for us on the other side of the other side of the team. But um but I think they need to find guys and those and these guys can you know if somebody's the wrong side of 30, I don't think they necessarily need to be uh, too concerned about that because you can play to 32, 33, even 34 and still play at a good level because it's all about you know just strength more moreover and i think they need to find guys that's just going to be able to shoot up that unit because it was was not pretty at times watching that run defense oh yeah 100 percent. i'm with you i do like those two names um i think they'd be perfect in our in our price range um i think one guy i could add to that is is devon godshaw he was a oh, the the nose tackle yeah. yeah for the dolphins and and he's relatively young he's 26 um, he only played five games this past season, but all the years before he played 16, then 16, and then 15. So it's not like he's injury prone or anything, but um, I went back and I watched his 2019 tape, and, and that dude is is a stud. He is very, very hard to move. Um, he's exactly what you're talking about, where you need that that strong, space-eating, run-stopping defensive tackle. Um, we saw Brandon Dunn. It, it, he's not it. We saw PJ Hall. He's not it either. Um, so I'm definitely with you on, on on getting that. I'm a big believer of building in the trenches first. Trenches are how you win football games. And whether it's defensive tackle, defensive end, we definitely need to pour resources into that as, as much as possible through free agency and, and through the draft definitely as well. I think PJ Hall, and you've got to hope Ross Blacklock comes in and improves in that position. Now, hopefully they'll, they'll be a bit more sensible with some better coaching staff, uh, guys that can uh, that can come in and... And be about you know I think I think the, the worst bit about the, the previous coaches after they didn't play at the player strengths both sides of the ball I think that was just a consistent theme that was that was tiring to watch at times um, and there's there's certainly some guys back there I think PG Hall will potentially be better than that and a guy that actually got snaps ahead of Blacklock was uh, well a full high a big Z as he's often mm-hmm. known as uh, guy small school guy. Do you think they've not confirmed bringing him back? And I know he's he's probably a lot further down the pecking order. But you think guys that you've had in a system for a year, low low risk, low money, potential high reward. They're the kind of guys that you want to be looking on your roster. But I don't think we have a pipeline of guys that we've developed on our practice squad again because of the previous coaching staff. Yeah, it's um, players like that: PJ Hall, Ross Blacklock, um, Big Z. They're guys who. Um, you know, you, you can't put a lot of stock in, you can't depend on them. You don't want to go into your, your season saying, okay, I'm going to start Blacklock and, and Hall and I'm going to be great, right? They're kind of more depth guys. And if they do break out, if they do show a lot of flashes in training camp, then that's great. Then you've got great depth. Um, I do believe, like you said, the scheme change going from, you know, predominantly three, four, two gapping to a, a four, three potentially one gapping type of scheme will do PJ Hall and Ross Blacklock a lot of good because they're they're a bit more undersized guys who use their athleticism to to get off blocks and to um, crash through um, running lanes and stuff like that. They're not really going to be, you know, those big space eaters that we were talking about. So I think definitely if we're using them to their strengths, there's more potential to be seen there. Um, but also, I would I would much prefer going the route of you know signing a veteran to to play in front of them to start in front of them, and and don't force them into that kind of starting role and have high expectations for them. Yeah, and I think you you've got to look in the division as well. There's a lot of free sort of mid to lower end of the year roster free agents end up staying in the division because you've got probably a better understanding for them. You've got a lot of tape on them. I think Dwayne Smoot from from the Jags. I think he got five and a half sacks last season, seventeen QB hits. 
Um, I thought he flashed it, particularly the game in Jacksonville. Um, and that, I suppose that wasn't too too troublesome for for some of the bigger guys that Nick Martin and, and Fulton probably struggled with the, the, the physicality. But Dwayne Smoot and D'Amico Autry was another one that's there from the uh, from the from the from the Colts as well, 31. I know he's had some injury history as well, but he's a guy that definitely flashes and he's he's a guy and a, a guy who's not no longer in the division as well was Jarrell Casey. He used to cause the Texans no end of issues every time we played them. Um, and again, available, didn't play much for Denver after he kind of got traded in a, for a fifth round pick was kind of a, a tough one, but he, he goes out and, uh, and again, he's available and I don't think it'll take a huge amount to get him on board. Yeah, no, I, I really, uh, I hear you and I really like Nico Autry as a, as a player. I think he's kind of what people hope Charles Omenahu can be. You know, he, he can play defensive end on rundowns. And then he can kick inside to defensive tackle that three tech position and, and really get after the quarterback. Um, he's definitely a, a very fun player. I, I don't really think the Colts will bring him back. Um, so I'd love to see him on the Texans um, for sure. I think kind of going along that line um, of interdivision players being potential free agents. What are your, what are your thoughts on Malcolm Butler? I know a lot of people are going to be like, uh, well, I mean, the yeah, if he signs, uh, when you say Calvin Noy as well, I think if he signs, you'll know who it was. Now, famously, Easterby picked him up from the airport when he signed as an undrafted free agent, if you ever watched any of him. Yeah. <laughs> if you've subjected yourself to any of his sermons online. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think if he does, it will be another... T- look, is he an up- it's hard to be too annoyed about it from a footballing sense because, he, of course, he's better than what we've got, but we don't have anybody really the position that can play an outside. I mean, look, Will Fuller, Fuller burned them so many times we played them. Um, it, would he be better than what we've got? Yes, but it just shows you who's making the decisions. Um, and I think that's that's perhaps a concern. I think cornerback's probably going to be the hardest one to address just in terms of every year it's a premium position. The, the demand far outweighs the supply and you're looking to hit on guys have you got anyone else that you think the Texans feasibly could bring in at that spot yeah I think um you know one guy who really excites me to play outside corner I'll give you one outside corner I'll give you one nickel corner yeah. um for the outside um taking a chance on a guy like Akello Witherspoon from the oh, 49ers yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I like that yeah he's mm. had some he's had some injury concerns he hasn't been able to get out on the field too much but when he has he's flashed and he was a super super intriguing prospect out of college um out of Colorado I believe and yeah. he's he's huge he's 6263 he's got super long arms um, he's very, very sound in zone coverage. That's always been his specialty. And um, watching some of his films past year, he's actually he's actually gotten into tackling. He used to hate tackling out of college. He was allergic to it. But in our system, we need those boundary corners to tackle. And he's got some added physicality to his game. He he fits. He checks off all the boxes you want um, of a Lovey Smith corner. Uh, and um, those are the types of deals that we got to take because he's not going to be breaking the the bank. He's not going to be asking for a lot of money like a. You know, like a William Jackson the third, like a uh, Patrick Peterson, Richard Sherman, AJ Boye, all those types of guys. Um, but Akella Witherspoon, you know, on a on a prove it deal, maybe give him one year, four to to six to seven million, depending on how many suitors he's got. I would be definitely down for that. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Then I'll get to get to my nickel guy. You know, when we practiced with them three years ago now, in joint practices, everybody was talking about Akella Witherspoon could be the next sort of top five corner. He had all the traits. He was ready, kind of, it, it seemed as if he was going to break out. 
Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's there. It's he's he's one of those guys that it's a bit of a risk, but yeah, the upside is there. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, um, and then kind of maybe my my entire crush of free agency um, is a Nickelback from the Steelers, Mike Hilton, and oh my god, he is just a joy to watch on the field. He he really takes physicality to another level. I mean, he's a dude who's 5'9", like 190, but he feels like he's the biggest dude on the field because he's constantly coming after you. He has that kind of same mentality of of Tyron Matthew, of Buda Baker, those smaller guys that really want to prove themselves, and they play a lot bigger than their size. And the Steelers, they do a lot of fun things with him. I kind of compare him to kind of like a poor man's Kenny Moore, and not even that poor because he's actually a very talented player. But he'll cover the slot. He'll cover some of those tight ends. Those big tight ends will move into the slot. I saw him have a rep versus Evan Ingram of the Giants, and he and he completely shut him down. Um, they'll also blitz him a lot. They blitz him so much, whether it's run defense or whether it's um, getting after the quarterback. And he has this like sixth sense of being able to time the snap and just blow up plays. And I think that's an element that we sorely need is is someone who can create big plays. He had three interceptions three interceptions last season and three sacks. And I think he missed like five games. So if he was healthy, um, man, he would have had an absurd season. Um, But I think he's someone who he won't get paid too much because of the nature of the position. It's just nickel at the end of the day. Teams don't value that as much as outside corner, even though it's arguably just as valuable in my opinion. Um, But I definitely think if, if I could have one guy this year, just one guy, give me one guy, please. It's, it's Mike Hilton. I did have Brian Poole from the Jets on my list, but uh, he signed for athletes first, so you can cross him off uh, <laughs> that one. Uh, I think Desmond King. I think everybody will remember him getting uh, traded to the traded to the in the division to to the Titans um, from mm-hmm. from LA, and I think he's a guy. He didn't play that well, and it's, tif- it's difficult to readjust. So I, I don't think they'll necessarily re-sign him, but he's a guy who's you know predominantly a slot guy um, that we can go. It's funny you said Hilton because I thought Cameron Sutton played a lot more. Um, for Pittsburgh down the stretch just when they got some injuries and look, the defense didn't go the way they wanted but he's a guy that I know people in Pittsburgh are definitely high on um, but the, I, I think it, cornerback I think is in secondary as a whole it's one of those positions it is literally and it is rudimentary as it sounds it is a year to year thing because guys can come back and just look shot like AJ Boye's leg last year like loved AJ Boye should have kept him should have tagged him there was no yeah. reason to let him go um, and that you know was one of the decisions that kind of just sort of put us away from being a top end dominant defense, um, and we never got that position right. Obviously, Kevin Johnson uh, is on the uh, is is on the is on the list this year as well. Um, but I think it's it, his legs kind of went, and he just doesn't take a huge amount of injuries to 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 add up. And then you're looking at a, a guy who looks off the pace, and there's no probably hiding positions at that. Do you think they sign a safety at all? Um, that can come down and do a bit of work in the box just because they don't really have... Well, we don't really know what Lonnie Johnson is, but I saw him tweet back at somebody who's not moving back to uh, yeah. back to corner. Um, do you think they sign somebody like that, like Keanu Neal or something? Or, I mean, I suppose he's probably not the kind of guy they go for, but do you think they go and add somebody to the safety position or do you think there's just too light at corner? They're probably not going to have the luxury of doing that. Yeah, um, really quick, I want to touch on Desmond King and, yeah. and kind of why he struggled with the Titans is because they're more of like a man-heavy defense. Yeah, and, and um, he's his own guy, yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah, purely his own guy. And so I think he'd be a, a, I think he's going to kind of get a small deal this season just because of teams will see, oh, he had a bad 2020. He's very limited to just zone, very limited to just slot. But if you got a team like us who who needs a slot, who needs guys who are strong in zone coverage, he's a perfect fit. 
So I, I would definitely love him. I love that you brought that name up. Um, what else do you say? Moving on to safety. Yeah, I think Lonnie Johnson, it's smart that they're not moving him back to corner. I know he has the perfect measurements for it, perfect athleticism for it, the physicality you need for it, but you just don't want to keep messing with this kid's development. I mean, they already messed with it once when they moved him to safety so quickly and, and didn't even tell him before the offseason. Um, so I like that they're yeah. keeping him there. And I think him and, and Justin Reed, I think they fit the two high system very well. Um, so I don't think that we're going to be signing a, a, you know, a starter. I think Justin can play that free safety. Um, he, he played a lot of single high early in his career and he showed that, you know, he can do it. He's not going to be a liability there, but he's also not going to be like a pure ball hawk, like your Earl Thomas, but in a two high, I think he's going to be really good there. Um, and in 2020, this past season, I watched Lonnie Johnson's film to see how he did at safety. And he did a lot better in coverage when he was in that two high as opposed to single high or, or in the box. So I think it's a good fit for both of their skill sets. Justin can play free. Lonnie can play strong. Um, and if we do see a safety signing, I think it'll be the kind of, you know, like Michael Thomas when we signed him uh, yeah. a year ago or two years ago. Kind of that third, fourth safety who can occasionally come in, maybe be a, a dime linebacker. Or, but mainly his main contributions are going to be on special teams. That's what I think. If we do see a safety signing, it'll be. Yeah, talking uh, a guy who who's undrafted, so you'll definitely go and chase a payday. Um, and again, just it's hard to hard to get a, a good grasp of the scheme, but definitely under um, the department. The name escapes me, but at the Chargers last season, um, was it, Gus Bradley was the and he, he predominantly plays cover three, kind of his own concepts, um, cover the team. And a guy who really shone for them last year uh, was a guy, Michael Davis. Now, he came out of Bur- uh, Birmingham Young, um, 2017, undrafted. Uh, but he's got he's got five interceptions in his career. He had three last year. Um, but he racks up the tackles, 166 tackles over four seasons, and, four, and he only got 14 in his rookie year because he didn't play much. So I think he's a guy that potentially could come in and be a guy who's who's got upside. Um but at that position, I suspect he'll maybe have a market. But he's the kind of guy that he's maybe a name that people don't know as well. Uh, but certainly from from the from some tape that I watched today, he he definitely flashes that he's got a good transitional quickness, um, which he needs when playing in zone um, to try and break on the ball. So he's a guy that I think you know a name like that that just maybe flies under the radar, like Shelby Harris last year. I really wanted them to sign a defensive tackle. His market collapsed and he ends up going back to Denver. So, guy, and he had a great season in Denver. So, who they're high on him, I want to resign him, but are let them test the market. So, it's these kind of names that that you don't know. Not not in a naming kind of sense of Eric Murray, but a kind yeah. of name of there's some production there. There's signs of an upside, um, and and there's more to go. In terms of a big position, I think we need to fill and address is just the type of linebackers because I don't think we have really any linebackers at the minute who can get those deep drops sideline to sideline coverage ability that you need in a 4-3 have you got any guys like that you think we'll, we'll have to sign somebody yeah i've got the perfect name for you and i agree with you it's a it's a huge and it's an underrated need we kind of forget for how as bad as our defense was last year we kind of forget that a root of our of a lot of our problems has always been that we don't have a, a single coverage linebacker yeah. on the team um and so my name for you is alex anzalone out of the mm-hmm. saints um and he plays mike for them he is Maybe not the most physically um, built guy. He's not your Bernardrick McKinney, but that's not what we need in the system. We need smaller, quicker, more athletic linebackers who can cover. And the Saints play a lot of cover too. And I've watched all, every single snap of his 2020 season. They played a lot of Tampa too, actually. And they asked Anzalone to cover that deep um, middle zone that kind of almost like 
at the safety level, right? Um, and he was really, really good at flipping his hips, running downfield with slot wide receivers. I saw him carrying the seam versus Kenny Galladay, who was going to get paid this offseason. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously you don't want him doing that on a snap by snap basis. I'm not saying he's going to cover Galladay out of the slot all day long, but he's the best linebacker I, I've, I've watched this offseason who can fit that role to a T. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you may lose a little bit in the run game with him. So he doesn't have, he's not the most physical guy, but he gives you everything you want out of that mic position from a coverage standpoint. He's very, very good there. And, and I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to break the bank. The saints probably aren't going to bring him back. They're like negative $50 million in cap space. And then they just tagged Marcus Williams. So I think with him as a free agent with Sheldon Rankins and, um, Trey Hendrickson as well, I think Anzalone's going to, going to get out of their grasp and, and maybe he'll get a he'll get a deal for um let's see linebackers maybe 4 to to 7 8 million at the most something like that and that would be very great for us yeah a couple of guys i think we could look at and i've seen seen actually in the last few days that are getting a bit of a run in terms of potential signings uh the, the vikings uh eric wilson uh came out of cincinnati in 2017 uh a guy who's got a lot of coverage abilities asked to do a lot away from the line of scrimmage you know we really need off the ball linebackers because if if this system is going to fall down it's going to be getting gutted up the seam and on sort of shallow crossers and yep. and just kind of taking easy money in behind the in behind the front four so it's he's a guy and then the other guy was that I was looking at was uh, Nick Morrow from the Raiders I think he's a guy who actually if you watch his tape and actually it was in the athletic today he was one of five guys they called out and there's 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 tape of him going stride for stride with T.Y. Hilton last year um up when they when they when they played they played in vegas last year so guys that can that can cover um but then i think what what morrow's getting good at is a is a bit of an underrated uh skill and we'll need to probably find secondary or secondary level pressures because we just simply don't have that uh ability but uh morrow's shown a re- he can really he can he can blitz and i think that's the kind of guy that we need um to do that a guy again small small school i uh, was just looking out there greenville he was at come out of so i don't mm-hmm. think the nfl seen too many uh greenville uh yeah. alumni um uh, breaking some break getting some bank but i think he's a guy that could potentially get money but again a, a name that 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 kind of goes under the radar that we can uh that we can look to look to uh look to hopefully try and improve this defense because i mean it can't get any worse you'd hope on the other side of the ball uh conscious of time before mr cully gets up to the mic yeah. this evening um do you see them spending any money on the offensive side of all considering how many sunk costs they've got with the randall cobb contract etc this year you know ideally we do sign a, a wide receiver to help try and replace will fuller um because as it does seem that they're gonna let him walk and then he he'll probably get paid by some team pretty handsomely um so if you're if you're looking at the depth chart you got brandon cooks he moves into that wide receiver one spot um and you've got cobb and you got qt and neither of them you want on the outside. So do you depend on a Chad Hansen? Do you depend on an Isaiah Coulter? I wish we had seen more out of them yeah. um, last season especially to, to really know. Yeah, yeah. yeah especially um, I think Hansen showed a lot of good flashes in the three, four games that he played. But as a wide receiver too, that's a, that's a tall task for him, right? So, you know, maybe they go out and they sign a guy um, – like a Nelson Aguilar, that would be probably a pretty 
mid tier, mid high tier free agent that I know I don't really have too high expectations that they do actually sign him, but he'd be a perfect fit for what this offense needs. Another another deep threat in my opinion. I think Tim Kelly showed that he did really good with two speedy guys, two deep threats. Um <clears throat> So I wouldn't mind that. Um, another kind of more under the radar name is Isaiah McKenzie of the Bills. He um, is a speedster himself, but he's never really gotten a, a big chance. He's kind of their wide receiver four. And even while he's their wide receiver four when John Brown is injured and, and wide receiver five when he's healthy. But he's a, a, a really great punt returner, really good kick returner. Um, he's got great speed. Um, he gets you yak in the open field. He, he's an athlete. And so I think he could be someone that we could help. That could help bolster the, the wide receiver core. Um, but I think in terms of other positions, I would like them to add a different running back because I'm not I'm still not confident in in David Johnson. And my guy there is Mike Davis from the Panthers. He he does it all. He's a very well-rounded running back. Um, I don't know if they'll actually go there. I don't know if they'll actually go offensive line. I feel like they have their five set. Do you think they have their their five set with you know Tunsil, Sharping, um, Britt, Fulton, and and Howard? I think they probably bring in somebody that's going to that potentially beats them out. You've got to hope Sharpen comes back and ready to compete and actually trades this off season, um, which if you follow on kind of social media, I don't think he necessarily is. Um, not to say that if you don't put workouts online, then you're not trying hard, but yeah. that was definitely his, the biggest allegation leveled up in this year. Uh, I think based on the picks, based on everything, I just don't think you can afford to. I think you just need to muddle your way through, whether it's a third, fourth round pick, perhaps. Yeah. In, in the interior, that's fine. You can't spend any more on tackles. We're, we're out of that. And I'm sure Roderick Johnson will find himself a nice market this season and get paid. And again, it just shows you that, plus the fact that the Jets, really, um, the, the, the Chiefs, sorry, um, released both their tackles, just shows you the faith that, that teams have got in this draft class again, that we could have easily filled through our own picks rather than selling the farm out for, for Laramie. So uh, I think, yeah, I think we've capped ourselves on that. I think the wide receiver if we do get one we need to bring in a big body guy we need to complement the skill sets of the of the smaller faster shiftier guys um across the across the board and you know you, you talk about building a basketball team so that's that's what you need to need to do i don't want to invest any run, money at running back you just got to go rookies you can find it's the easiest position to fill um yeah just like just like um just like wide receiver, you can find them at any spot, I think. So, um, yeah, but we will need to find a guy that will complement um, that. And it, look, if Fells, is, if Fells is gone and it's only Aitkins going into the last year of his deal um, and Pharaoh Brown does come back, which he's expected to, then, you know, potentially might need to pick up a tight end somewhere. Um, maybe a younger guy that's that's uh, in the draft and we can develop and can sit behind Brown. Because I thought week 17 against the Titans, albeit catching passes from D4, but... I thought Farrell Brown started to look like a starting tight end. So uh, I think, you know, how many kids you might want to get somebody in behind there if, if Fowles goes. So, yeah, I think we'll be definitely shopping in the second and third wave. Uh, this time next week, we'll probably just be sort of into the second wave. What's your sort of over-under for how many players the Texas have picked up in a, week, in a week's time and then and then subsequently two weeks after that? Oh, man. In a week's time, I think I would be – a little surprised if we sign more than one player to be completely yeah. honest. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 I think like you said, after two weeks, three weeks, then we'll probably overall, we might maybe sign two or three guys. Um, they're going to be more, you know, depth guys, backup guys. Maybe we get one starter on the defensive side of the ball um, realistically, but I think the, the beef of our, our reinforcements this off season will come in, uh, in the draft, which I'm super excited for. Yeah, I think so, and that's got to be the way the way the way the uh, the way they look to build. And you don't want to spend, and you think if 
and you, you don't you can't necessarily assume that Casario mirror the behaviours that they showed in New England, but I think there'll be an element of that. And they certainly didn't really ever spend it. It was the third, fourth, and you know, the latter ways and and wire pickups that they they got on. Jordan, just before we finish out, we've got David Cully coming on the mic in a couple of minutes. What's your sort of one two minute prediction of how this Deshaun Watson saga ends? And we'll end on that. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, I'm surprised we actually made it through the entire podcast without even without even referencing it. That is crazy. But um, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, as as horrible as it sounds, I do think you'll be traded. Um, obviously, in a perfect scenario, we can mend the relationship and keep our MVP level quarterback, best quarterback in the league. If if you're asking me, um, but <clears throat> I think it's too far gone. I think for that to happen, Cal McNair would need to either step down or. Um, fire joke used to be or both honestly and I don't see that happening it would have happened by now if it was going to but I think he's going to get traded um, probably the week prior to the draft where we hopefully will get an absolute haul that is unprecedented a lot of teams are I keep hearing that the Bears are going to give like their entire draft class or even two draft classes I mean obviously you got the Dolphins the Jets who have the most picks possible Um, so hopefully we get a, a great value for Deshaun obviously at the end of the day you're still not going to really be able to replace a quarterback of his caliber but i think that's what it's going to come down to and, and when you have all these picks like we've been talking about the best way to build your team is through the draft and i've been doing a lot of mock drafts been messing around with it because that's the only thing you can do at this time of the year a lot of mock drafts and and you can get 15 picks um if you keep trading down which nick casario loves to do you can really draft the whole side of the starting um offense or defense so um it'll be interesting um i do think you'll be traded unfortunately but I kind of just want the saga to be to be over, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's what you want. I think we, the the longer this goes on, it impacts free agency, you know, and nobody kid themselves that this isn't going to prevent guys potentially signing here, and uh, and hopefully we, you know, they get it. I think just the fact that you're 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 running away the most important piece you ever could ask for, and probably a better guy you could ask for, probably speaks more about the uh, the internal dysfunction. Um, and the levels of it, and I think it's. I feel I do feel for the Texas media staff at times because it's almost like they've been told not to say Easterby's name, uh, and that's just how toxic the relationship is. But we'll see what David Cully's got to say tonight, and uh, and see what if he addresses any of the questions that are around that. But Jordan, thanks very much for your time on a whistle stop tour of what might be a very uneventful uh, free agency period. Thank you for having me on again. Always a great time. Appreciate it, man.